Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome in to 5th Avenue Faceoff. Hi, I'm Chris Mack. And if you'd like, you can watch the show on YouTube where I'm doing a wonderful Forrest Gump-style wave. Ha, Jenny. Uh, you could also, of course, listen audio only in whatever app you use to get your favorite podcast, doesn't matter. Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, however you choose to do it, just be sure to follow or subscribe to Fifth Avenue Faceoff so you get those new episodes as soon as they are available. This one was available very, very early on Friday morning after the Pens beat the Avalanche. Um, and... Completely unexpectedly so, right? I I said it on Tuesday night um, in that this team, I remember last spring, I want to say it was maybe late February. It wasn't long after the All-Star break, right? Uh, The Penguins had a really poor end of the first half of the season. Uh, They lost an ugly game at home to the San Jose Sharks. And then they came out of the break and they had a big game against Colorado. And everybody thought, oh, man, this team's in trouble. They have to win this game against the Avs. And they did, even though no one expected them to. Um, And so here we are. Fast forward about eight months. We go through one of the most tumultuous off-seasons in Penguin history. New GM. Turnover half the roster. And the Penguins are struggling with a two-and-four start to the season and they desperately need these two points to right the ship and what do they do they turn in arguably their best overall performance of the year it's right up there with the caps game it's better in my opinion than the caps game if only because of the level of competition the opposition uh, in beating the washington capitals in the caps home opener a couple weeks ago is the Caps, and the Caps are a mess right now. The Caps are aging uh, just as rapidly, if not more so, than the Penguins. And their core, their aging core, doesn't seem to be handling it uh, as well as the Penguins' aging core. And this is the Colorado Avalanche, man. This is, well, they were 6-0 and coming in. I don't know what else you got to say other than the 6-0 and Colorado Avalanche came into Pittsburgh with Alexander Gorgiev in net 
And not only did he get run by the end of the game, but they kept the following people off the stat sheet. Should I just read the whole roster? I won't do that. I'll just read the big names. Makar, Nachuskin, Druan, McKinnon, uh, Lekkinen, Tatar, Rantanen, all held off Taves, all held off the score sheet, except many of them had crooked minus numbers next to their name, including a minus three McKinnon, a minus two Rantanen, a minus two Tatar, minus one Makar. Uh, this Colorado team did not look this stifled all season. I want to be clear, though. And look, I respect the hell out of Josh Yoey. I consider him a good friend. He covers the Penguins for The Athletic. He wrote a great piece already post-game about how the Penguins played stifling defense. I think they played very good defense. I would argue it was necessarily stifling because I can look at the numbers. And look, there's eye test and there's numbers. Eye test tells me they played a very good defensive hockey game, obviously, to keep the Avalanche off the score sheet. Uh, the numbers tell me that the Avalanche still had their fair share of chances. In fact, the numbers, according to Natural Stat Trick, tell me that the Avalanche had 10, is that right? 10 high danger chances as compared to the Penguins. Again, let me do some math. Yeah, two high danger chances. Now, high danger chances, as they're defined by natural stat trick, either opportunities, shots from right directly in front of the net, or shots from inside the house, so to speak, uh, below the hashes and dots and inside those hashes and dots, uh, but coming off a break or on a rebound, those also count as high danger chances. Those aren't the end-all be-all. Look, Sidney Crosby's line didn't technically have a high danger chance for uh, tonight. They actually had two against, I think it was. No, <laughs> more than that. Six against. Uh, according to the numbers, Sidney Crosby's line was struggling to contain the opposition. But Sidney Crosby scores the fourth goal in this game and does so in what is not a high danger part of the ice. It's just a pretty shot. Um, the second line, the Malkin line, you know how many high danger chances they had? Same thing, Bupkis, zero. But I will tell you, Riley Smith's goals? Oh, those were dangerous. Those were very dangerous, especially the second one set up oh so pretty by Evgeny Malkin right on the doorstep. I don't know how that doesn't count as a high danger chance. So again, I test numbers. They can sometimes tell you two slightly different things. If you just went by the numbers, you'd say, well, Colorado, Colorado kind of dictated play and maintained possession and they won the shot battle. Hmm. What happened here? The eye test tells you the Penguins did play a very good defensive game and that you don't necessarily want to go all in on the numbers for Thursday night's game. But what I can tell you is that they had a huge penalty kill. Four-minute double minor to Evgeny Malkin for high-sticking late in the second period that they killed off. 
And that four-minute kill is the biggest turning point in the game, I think. Like, Riley Smith scoring two goals in the first period is huge. But the turning point in this one is when Colorado, down by three, has an opportunity to get back in the game, and they can't. They can't because the power play opportunity does not get fulfilled. Four minutes of power play time, and they they can't do it. They can't get one on the board to make it the dreaded two-goal lead. And a ton of credit, ton of credit to the Penguins' penalty kill tonight, who killed off 10 minutes of power plays. Colorado 0 for 5 on the power play. Penguins' power play only had two opportunities and only went for like two and a half minutes of time. Um, So we'll set that to the side, the ongoing conversation about the Penguins' power play. And we'll just acknowledge that their penalty kill was stellar tonight. A big part of that, Lars Eller, who was first on the team in shorthanded ice time among all forwards. In fact, he was second on the team among all skaters in shorthanded ice time. Only Chris Letang had more shorthanded ice time than Lars Eller, and only by nine seconds. Lars Eller is the man tonight. Lars Eller was the key to this thing. He only goes down as the third star of the three stars because Tristan Jari, who we'll get to in a second, gets the shutout. And because Riley Smith scores two goals and he's the second star, Lars Eller and his line were the key to this game and have been the key to this team somehow maintaining what little footing they had through the first six games. They will be the key to this team. Look, top two lines will do what they are expected to do or this team will fail. Let's be real clear about that. If Crosby's line and Malkin's line don't produce, this team is not going to the playoffs. But that's a given. If Tristan Jari is a disaster, this team won't go anywhere assuming they do get to the playoffs. This much is a given. The power play has to produce or they won't go to the playoffs nor have any success in the playoffs. That is a given. And that is highlighted by Eric Carlson, who has to produce, especially on the power play. Once again, a given. Those four things, givens that you just assume you're going to get. And I say assume you're going to get if you think this is a playoff team or can go anywhere once the playoffs start. Top two lines produce. Tristan Jari plays well. Power play comes together. It's actually three things. Sorry. Math. The one thing that you need to take this team from borderline playoff team, who's lucky to get in and compete in a series, a first-round series, to team that should win a first-round series, do more than just compete in the second round, could even push things and maybe even end up in the conference finals, The final piece is we get all those things. We get Crosby's line. We get Malkin's line. We get the power play highlighted by Eric Carlson, and we get Tristan Jari. So I guess it is four things. The final piece that puts it all together is the depth lines show up much better than they did last year. We're seeing that with the third line so far this year. 
Mike Sullivan said it after the game. He thinks it may be one of, if not the best game of Drew O'Connor's career. I mentioned Redeem Zahorna in the past. He makes, Redeem Zahorna makes that Lars Eller goal. By going to the dirty area, going to the crease, cleaning the puck up, and just throwing it back towards the middle of the ice. Not the middle, like the high slot. Like the middle of the high danger. Again, we'll reference that part of the ice. To the middle of the high danger area for Lars Eller to clean up for his first goal as a Penguin. And then, again, there's Eller playing a full 200-foot game and getting his first goal as a Pittsburgh Penguin while playing five and a half minutes of shorthanded ice time. Lars Eller tonight, 18 and a half minutes of ice time total, nearly five and a half of it. So again, I'm going to try and do quick math here off the top of my head. Almost a third of his time on the ice, about 30% of Lars Eller's time on the ice Thursday against the Avalanche was spent killing penalties. And again, how big was killing off that four-minute double minor at the end of the second, beginning of the third on the Malkin high stick. Enormous. They give up a goal, maybe on one of those two opportunities, or hell, maybe both. Wouldn't be out of this world given all the talent on the Colorado power play. Completely different game. They let the Avalanche right back into it if they let them score on one of those power plays. They didn't. Eller was the key. And he's the key to the third line succeeding. Zahorna improving his skating and his puck handling abilities since his first stint as a Penguin a couple years ago. Drew O'Connor flying around, chasing down pucks. This team back-checked really well. This team was focused on not letting it become a track meet tonight. This is the way they need to play. It may be boring sometimes. And and I'll be honest, even with all the talent on the ice, even with them scoring four goals, there were moments in the second period and again in the third where you're watching this, you're a hockey fan, so you're engaged in it, but you're going, man, there's really not a lot happening here, is there? I wouldn't call it boring, but I could see why why a casual fan would go, hmm, not a lot happening here. I'm going to go get some nachos. I'll be right back. Because the Penguins were making it that kind of game, which is exactly what this version of the Penguins needs to do if they want to go anywhere against more talented teams who they're going to face in the playoffs. Almost every team they face in the playoffs, depending on how things break, if they get back to the playoffs, will be more talented than them. It's okay. You want to beat those teams, though. You have to muddy it up just a bit. You got to play good old-fashioned boring hockey from time to time. Limit the scoring chances. Now, again, the numbers from Natural Stat Trick tell us that there were probably more high-danger chances, a lot more for Colorado than the Penguins. But it didn't ever feel like that tonight. And the moments where Colorado did get opportunities, two or three huge opportunities in this game. Jonathan Drouin had a huge chance. I want to say late first, early second. Um, it was either Rantanen or, and, and skewer me for not remembering who had the opportunity. I believe it was Rantanen or Tatar. Someone had another opportunity late in this game. There were two or three saves that Tristan Jari made 
out of the 30 that he made tonight that were enormous, that were exactly what we've been complaining about with Jari. We talk all the time, and people ask me all the time, man, what's up with the pens, man? What's up with, what's up with Jari, dude? How are they going to go anywhere with him? And really going all the way back to when he became the full-time starter in 2021, I've said the same thing. He has the ability to be great in flashes, but we just don't see it enough. He makes all the saves he's supposed to, just about all the saves he's supposed to. He just doesn't make any of the ones he's not supposed to. He did that at least two, three times tonight. He made saves that on other nights he might not make. That you you looked at and you went, that was a big one. Because, again, every time Colorado scores, if they score in those instances, the momentum instantly shifts. Instantly shifts back to Colorado. He didn't let that happen. And so, again, whether you want to talk about the number of high danger chances according to natural stat trick, whether you want to talk about how ferocious they were on the back check and how they just looked more defensively minded. Again, props to Josh Yoey of The Athletic. Uh, I read his game story and the immediate aftermath of Thursday night's game. And that's his take on things. I, I choose to take a step back and say, yes, they played better defensively. Even if the numbers say they gave up too many high danger chances. They did play better defensively. But I'm going to meet somewhere in the middle and say, there still had to be a few saves made by Tristan Jari that he hasn't made very often lately. And in the process, the Penguins get their second shutout of the season. They and the Tampa Bay Lightning, I believe, are the only two teams to have multiple shutouts this season. They're going to need more of those. They're going to need more efforts like this one tonight. And especially against good teams. Like, the Penguins can get away some nights. Like Anaheim, San Jose... Columbus, those kind of teams, they can get away with not playing the most defensively sound game. Maybe getting caught up in a little bit of a track meet. But the preferred method of winning games for them is what they did to Washington. It's what they did tonight. Both of them 4 nothing shutouts. That's the way the Pittsburgh Penguins become better than they were a year ago. And it's built off of depth contributions on a 200-foot basis as well as on the score sheet to complement all the other stuff that you have to consider a given if you're going to be a contender. And by contender, I mean a team that wins at least one series, pushes late into a second series, maybe even into the conference finals. You've got to get the top two lines producing behind Crosby and Malkin. You've got to get the power play going behind Eric Carlson. You've got to get Tristan Jari standing tall and making saves that he wouldn't ordinarily be expected to make. And then you've got to get that depth scoring as the supplemental piece here. The depth scoring and 200-foot game as the supplemental piece. You get all four of those components, you've got a team that can go to the conference finals because they can beat teams that are more talented than them. If they play this kind of game against 
I don't know, L.A. in two weeks uh, against Buffalo, against Jersey, against Carolina, against Vegas, against the Rangers, against the Leafs, against the Lightning, all of whom they face in November, they can win those games. But if they get sloppy, if they try to get caught up in a track meet, if they just lose their focus and seemingly lose their desire for 20 or 30 minutes, like Dallas, like St. Louis, like Detroit, like uh, Chicago, they're going to lose. This was a complete, we talk about wanting a complete 60-minute effort from this team. We finally got one tonight. It was bolstered by the depth forwards and the goaltending. And this is exactly what the prescription should be and exactly what the formula should look like for the Pens to maybe win some more games that they're not expected to win. And use the opportunities against teams that you can beat either way, like Anaheim next week and San Jose next weekend. Use those games as an opportunity to hone your craft even more. Because you should beat those teams, whether you play the style you're supposed to play or not. But if you can do it against them, against all of your primal instincts to just skate up and down the ice and pepper the net, that shows what we need to see. It's crazy. We're talking about 37 and 36-year-olds needing to show a little bit more maturity at times in playing the game the way it needs to be played for this core, this team, this roster to be successful. But that's still in there. Stars still want to play fun, exciting hockey. They just don't totally understand that they can't quite do it, I think, the way they used to be able to do it. They need to be reminded sometimes that even Steve Iserman, late in his career, had to develop a 200-foot game. And this is not meant as a knock on Crosby or Malkin or Latang or anybody else who's a part of this aging core. But you just got to be reminded sometimes that a good 200-foot focus is the more solid way for this aging core to win games. If you haven't already, I would welcome you follow or subscribe to Fifth Avenue Faceoff, however you get your favorite podcasts, including inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. It's free. Download it today if you have not yet. If you're watching, thank you on 93.7 The Fan's YouTube page. You can tap that little notification bell down there, and you'll find out as soon as new episodes are available of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. There will be a new one. We will do the next one. Let's see. Let me grab my calendar here, friends. We'll aim to get the next one in on Monday night after they host the Ducks. We will look back on the Ottawa game as well as the Anaheim game. And who knows? If they can play like they did against Colorado, they could be they could have a three and one home stand in their rearview mirror before they head out west and try to stack a couple of more wins against the lowly Sharks and Ducks and really get November going off on a better foot than October did. And again, like I mentioned in the first few episodes, start stacking some points against teams that you should be able to beat. But the next episode coming to you after Monday night's game against the Ducks of Anaheim at PPG Paints Arena. Welcome you again to comment, to rate, review, 
uh, interact, be a part of things, whether it's on the YouTube page or comments inside whatever your favorite podcast app is. Uh, be a part of Fifth Avenue Faceoff, and we'll talk to you again early next week. See ya.